Welcome to episode number 180. Consider this your deep dive into how to grow healthy tomatoes and how to avoid many of the common things that plague them so that you can just bypass a lot of the diseases and issues that people have with tomatoes so we don't have to deal with them from the beginning. Amen. I would much rather do how the saying goes, right? That old adage, an ounce of prevention. It is so true in the case of tomatoes. I want to welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast if you're a brand new listener. And if you are a longtime listener, high five. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I'm the author of The Made From Scratch Life, Homemade, The Modern Guide to Made From Scratch Living, and the host here of the Pioneering Today podcast, where we don't just inspire you, but I give you the clear steps to create the homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life you want for your family and homestead, whether or not you live on a full-on homestead with lots of acreage, or you're just kicking it in an apartment in the city. No matter where you live, I got tips that are going to work for you. Let's dive into today's content where we are talking about tomatoes. Now, tomatoes used to be a nemesis crop for me. So just a little bit of back history or story, if you don't know, I live in the Pacific Northwest. Specifically, I live in northern Washington state, and I live up in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. So I'm about location-wise, if you look at Seattle on a map, and then you look at the Canadian border, I'm about halfway in between, but then you shoot east up into the still the west side of the North Cascade Mountain Range, but that's where I live. So just so that you have a little bit. So I'm definitely in that northern climate. Because we're up in the foothills, we do get colder and more snow than Seattle obviously would get. But we do deal with a lot of damp, rainy weather, usually even in the summer, though the past probably about five years, we've been experiencing a lot drier and warmer summers than are normal for this area. Now, the reason I share that with you is because if you have those conditions, it can be really hard to grow tomato plants. Tomatoes really do not like to be wet. It opens them up to the fungus that can cause blight, which we're going to talk about ways to eradicate that. And if you don't have a lot of warmth, your tomatoes aren't going to be as productive and they're not going to want to produce for you as well if it's really cold and rainy out. They are definitely a warm weather plant. So a lot of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today have been by complete trial and error. And they're the things that I wish I had known way back in the day when I struggled. I'm not kidding you, you guys. One year I had five tomato plants and I got one one tomato off of those five plants. No joke. But now, (laughs) thankfully, this story has a happy ending. We have for many years now, successfully off of just 18 tomato plants, I raise all of our tomato products for a family of four off of 18 tomato plants for the entire year. So I'm talking tomato sauce, stewed tomatoes, salsa, you know, all those things that we love to do with our tomatoes, plus fresh eating when the season is on off of those 18 plants. I'm going to share those tips with you so that hopefully you can get a larger harvest. And if you've not really gotten much of a harvest at all, or you've dealt with some disease issues with tomatoes, this is going to give you the steps and the things that we've learned that are going to help you. When we are talking about our tomatoes, we're going to start at planting time. Now, don't worry. If you have already put those darlings in the ground, you can still use some of these tips. If you do them right at planting time, I just find that to be the easiest, but it's okay. You can still do these and apply these even if your plants are already in the ground, okay? The first thing that we need to know about our tomatoes is 
ideally the soil that they're going into. So where are you planting them to begin with? So I guess technically, let me backtrack a little bit. If your tomato plants are already in the ground, you're probably not going to want to move them. But knowing that they are in full sun. So your tomato plants, as I said, they are a warm weather loving crop. They need to be in full sun. So they need to get at least six plus, ideally eight plus hours of sunshine a day. So you wanna make sure that they're in full sun. If you are dealing with an area that gets a lot of shade and you're like, ah, they're gonna be shaded somewhat, pick an area on your property where they get the most of the afternoon and later in the day sunlight, because usually that's more of an intense sunlight than the sunlight we get first in the morning, so that they get the majority of that afternoon sunlight. So that's one thing. They really do need to be in full sun. Now, when we're talking about the soil, there's a lot of things that in the soil nutrient-wise will help your tomatoes to not only to be robust and to give you a really great harvest of actual tomatoes, but can actually cut back on the disease that they're susceptible to. So I'm going to put this right up front. Your best bet, honest to goodness, is to get a soil test done so that you know the pH level and you know what all of the exact macronutrient levels are of your soil. So you know if you need to amend for them or not, because I tell you, I don't want to do any extra work and have to do anything extra if I don't need to do it. And a soil test is going to let you know. They're pretty inexpensive. A lot of local county extension offices will perform them for free. Mine doesn't, but we have a local company that I can just send my sample to. And for less than 20 bucks, they let me know what I need to put into my soil. I'm not going to go into depth here on soil testing. I am going to preface that it's important, but I have an entire episode, you guys, and a blog post that accompanies it. To access the past episodes, as well as the written blog post that accompanies every single podcast episode that we put out. You can either go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button, and they are listed in chronological order for you. Now, for today's specific blog post and resources and links that apply to this episode, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 180, so the number 180, because this is episode number 180. And I will have linked for you within this post the link to episode number 135 on how to test your soil and further resources along those lines if that's something that you need to dig into. When you are planting your tomatoes, ideally, you can't go wrong adding in compost to your soil. So if you have got some good organic compost, work some of that into the bottom of the hole at planting time, work it into the soil. Now, there's a few other specific nutrients that I like to make sure that my tomatoes have and that I'm putting in the soil. So you can add these at planting time. If you've already planted, then you can do what we call a top dressing. The top dressing simply means that on top of the soil, around the drip line of the plant, if you don't know what a drip line is, all that means is when you look at the leaves on a plant and water is applied from the top, the outer edge of the leaves of the plant is where the water drips off of and hits the soil. That's your drip line. When you apply amendments or do a top dressing, you want to put it there because as the water comes off, and we're going to talk about overhead watering with tomatoes and why you want to avoid it, or if you've got drip hoses, what I use, or some type of irrigation system, wherever water is hitting the soil around the plant, that's where you want to work in your top dressings because the water, as it hits that and then goes down into the soil, it's going to help carry those nutrients that you're trying to get to the root and into the plant and into the soil from the top. It's going to help push those down. 
So that's why location-wise, we say do a top dressing around the drip line. But really, it's wherever the water is going to be at. If you're using soaker hoses, then you're going to want to put it kind of beneath the soaker hose and around the plant so that that water, as gravity pulls that water down into the soil, it takes those nutrients with it. Now, if you haven't planted yet and you're putting them in the planting hole, then just mix it into the planting hole. But what we're going to be talking about nutrient-wise is tomatoes. And this is also true as well for a lot of your squash plants. So think any of your summer and winter squash plants. The disease that we're talking about is blossom and rot. What blossom and rot is, if you've ever experienced it, it is super frustrating. The fruit, so either your tomato or if we're talking like zucchini, a squash, it will form. So the blossom will form into whatever the vegetable or fruit is going to be. But as it starts to mature, usually before it gets ripe, though sometimes it can be close to being ripe, on the end, so the bottom of the tomato or the end of the zucchini or squash furthest away from the vine, it will start to rot. So it'll turn soft and brown and mushy and then eventually black. That's called blossom end rot. Usually blossom end rot is a direct result of not having enough calcium in the soil. So the plant is not getting enough calcium. But I want to clarify here. Sometimes there's not enough calcium actually in the soil for the plant. Sometimes there's enough calcium present, but the way that you're watering the plant, it's not getting the calcium. It's not drawing it up into the plant. That's why I started and prefaced, if you have a soil test done, it will let you know if you do have enough calcium present so that you immediately know, is this a watering issue or is it actual lack of this nutrient available to the plant? Soil test first, if at all possible. But you can add calcium at the planting time or you can do it as a top dressing later. The easiest and organic ways, which is of course the way we roll in our garden and I'm hoping that you do too, to add calcium is you can do eggshells. So your eggs, either from your backyard chickens or the eggs that you're getting from the store or local farmer's market, wherever you're getting your eggs, save those eggshells. I rinse mine off and then let them dry. After they're dried, you can use an old coffee grinder and you can grind them up. You're basically going to pulse them into a fine, fairly fine powder. The reason I prefer to do the fine powder is because anything that's smaller is going to decompose and break up faster. That means it's going to get into the soil faster and therefore the plant is going to be able to absorb and use that nutrient faster rather than just doing where you kind of crunch it up by hand and it's bigger, sharp shards. People will use those for like slug and snail deterrent around the soil. I've had mixed results with it myself. But if you are looking to get calcium into your soil, you want it to be fine and ground up into a powder. Then you just work that into the bottom of the planting hole, into the soil when you're planting, or work it into the top of the soil as a top dressing. That's going to help naturally add in calcium to the soil without adjusting the pH level. So another organic method that you can use to add calcium into your soil is to use lime. But when you use lime, that will affect the pH level of the soil. I don't recommend that you use lime unless you know what your pH level is and then you need to use the lime because you're putting calcium in, but also because you're trying to change the pH level of your soil. So if your pH level is good, then I would not use lime. I would use the crushed up eggshells. Now, how much to add? Well, if you have your soil test done, you're going to know if you're super low, you're going to use more. And then if you're not too low, just a little bit, you're going to use less. I know. But Typically, I'll do anywhere from two to a quarter cup of ground up eggshells per planting hole, and that works pretty well for me. 
The other thing that you can add, and you've probably heard people saying to add this before to the planting hole, maybe you've wondered why, but we'll cover it, is Epsom salt. Epsom salt is not salt, y'all. It's magnesium. (laughs) And magnesium is a good thing to have in your soil. Again, I'm a broken record. I know. But a soil test is going to show you if you even need to add this or not. But magnesium can be a good thing that people like to add to their tomatoes because the addition or presence of magnesium will help the plant draw up phosphorus, which we're going to talk about next. So a lot of people will go ahead and add a couple tablespoons up to a quarter cup of Epsom salt, which is our magnesium, to the plant at the time of planting. Another thing that you can do with the Epsom salt, especially if you have already put your plants in, You can use one tablespoon of Epsom salt in a gallon of water, and then you can use that to spray and to water your plants. So it's water-soluble. It's going to dissolve. We use it in our baths. High five for some of them sore muscles. But you can also use that as a foliar spray as an application for your plants too. Now, those are typically the only things that I add to my soil because I know what it needs, and and all the other levels are pretty good at the time of planting. And the reason, obviously, for that extra calcium is to help combat that blossom end rot because it's so frustrating when you see them growing and the fruit starting to form. And then right when it comes to harvest time, they start to get the blossom end rot or sometimes a little bit earlier, and then they'll just, they'll fall off and you know you're not getting them. It's something that if you just do a little bit in the beginning and use some of these amendments that you can help eradicate it or it not even form from the beginning. But let's talk about, we need to circle back around to the blossom end rot and the calcium. The calcium levels in your soil may just be fine and you can still experience blossom end rot. And the reason for that is, especially with tomatoes, is not watering correctly. So what do I mean by that? How do you not water correctly? What I mean by that is tomatoes actually have a very large root system. They have a huge root system, and we want that root system to be really developed because that's going to help provide the health and vigor of the plant and a larger harvest. With watering your tomatoes, ideally, you want to water them really deep just a couple of times a week because as the top of the soil starts to dry out, That forces the roots to dig down and to go deeper and to become a bigger unit and a stronger unit and to go down into the soil. So we're creating a better, more robust root system, which is what we want to do with our plants. They need to have that really healthy foundation. When you just do like a little bit of watering every day and it's just kind of on the top layer of the soil, then oftentimes that can be an issue with the blossom end rot. So you can go too far the other way. It's kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? You either have too little watering or you can have too much watering. So ideally, one to two times a week, about two inches of water if you're not getting any rain. And you want to let the top dry out by, you know, about an an inch or two, let it dry out. And then you're going to water it really deeply. So you don't want to always keep it watered so that it's never drying out on the top. But then, of course, you don't want to let it dry out too much because then your plant's going to start to wilt and that's going to stress it out too. Speaking of watering with tomatoes, and this is a big thing because the other big disease that your tomatoes get is blight. And once they get blight, usually for that planting year, there's not a lot of coming back from it. It's really hard to get rid of blight once it's infected the plant. The other thing about blight is it infects the soil and it will stay in the soil for a number of years. With our tomatoes, tomatoes are part of the nightshade family. 
what nightshade family is potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants. Those are all susceptible to the same diseases, especially blight. So you don't want to be planting those in that family that we just went through. You don't want to be planting them in the same soil. So if you planted tomatoes in the same spot, then next year you better not be putting tomatoes back in it or peppers or potatoes or eggplants. Ideally, about three to four years between planting anything in that nightshade family in the same soil. So crop rotation is even more important when you're dealing with tomatoes and things in the nightshade family simply to avoid sharing similar diseases and blight being one of the biggies. Blight is, as I said, a fungus, and it's usually from overhead watering. Overhead sprinklers, don't do it. (laughs) If you live in an area that has a lot of rain, typically, like we do here in the Pacific Northwest, you're like, well, how do I avoid the rain? What we have done, and I'm going to share a link so you can find that when you go to the blog post for this episode, I have a YouTube channel. So if you didn't know, every Wednesday we put up new YouTube videos and it's for things that just don't conducive to really being audio wise, right? Like on a podcast where you really just need that visual and you need to see it being done because there's some things where I'm like, I got to watch that. I can't listen about it. I got to see it. That's where our YouTube channel comes in. And I've got a couple of videos that actually show our do-it-yourself greenhouse that we made from just an old metal carport, you know, like those metal carport kits you get from Costco. Well, we made our own greenhouse out of that. It's not really a greenhouse because we don't heat it. So technically it's a high tunnel, but that is where I plant all of our tomatoes and our peppers so that they don't get any of the rain that we typically get so that they don't get blight. Since doing that, I have never had any blight going on six plus seven years. Prior to that, I would almost always get blight here just because of our weather conditions. You can go and check that out. It's an easy do-it-yourself. We love it. It's lasted us, like I said, six plus years. She's still going strong, even after some 70 plus mile per hour winds. But you can also do that on a smaller scale. You don't have to do construction like we did, which it was pretty basic. But if you have a large eave or an overhang on your house, you can try and put your tomatoes underneath that. You can also out in the regular garden People will do arches or smaller hoop houses while you will just put some plastic over the top. And you want to use greenhouse plastic that still allows all of the waves of sunlight that we need to come through because, as I said, they do need full sun. So you want to make sure if you're doing any type of covering that it does allow the sun to still come through if you're using plastic that it is greenhouse plastic. For watering, we don't use an overhead sprinkler with our tomatoes, any of the nightshade family preferably, but especially with your tomatoes. We use soaker hoses. I have found soaker hoses. I have the same soaker hoses we've been using for six plus years. You're noticing a theme there, right? So it's six plus years (laughs) going on our seventh year that we have been having great success with the tomatoes. And that's when I initially purchased all of these things. I find soaker hoses to be great because I can, they're not a permanent. I can take them out in the wintertime and then put them where I need them again the following year. Whereas doing things like drip line irrigation, which can be great, Usually those take a little bit more work and they're a little bit more permanent. I like the soaker hoses because I can lay those bad boys out, have the whole thing in for the year. Oh, 10 minutes, if that. On the tomatoes, it's just simply snaking that hose in between them and I'm done in like, I don't know, a couple of minutes, if that. For the rest of the garden, it takes a little bit longer because it's a lot bigger space. It's not just 18 tomato plants. I love that. So I love soaker hoses. Soaker hoses are a really easy way to water deeply with being conservative of your water and not getting obviously any spray up on the leaves where if it's a wet environment like that, the higher 
likelihood of introducing blight and allowing that fungus to grow. As your tomatoes are growing, there's a couple other things that you want to look at them. And this kind of goes back to the soil. One of the things that a lot of times people will notice with their tomato plants is if the leaves start to turn purple, that is a sign, especially the underside of the tomato leaf, that it is low on phosphorus. So if you see that or the plants seem to be a bit stunted, like you plant them and you're like, man, they've been in the ground for a couple of weeks now. They're just really not growing. And if the leaves show purple, that's a sign usually of a phosphorus deficiency. Now, it can be that the soil temps are low. So if it's a little bit cold out, again, that full sun, their warm weather, sometimes that can be it as well. And really the best thing for a phosphorus deficiency is really good compost. And compost that has had manure, fish waste in it, or wood ash will help add in phosphorus to that. So that's why I said you can't really go wrong with adding some compost at planting time. If it's already past planting time, get some good organic compost and put that in and work it around the top of the soil so that it will push down and get those nutrients in as the plant is watered. Now, we also need to talk about nitrogen. All plants need nitrogen, but some plants need more than others. And with your tomatoes, Nitrogen's kind of a, not really a funny one, but there's a few things that you need to know about it. So with the nitrogen, if you have too much nitrogen, you're going to get lots of really dark green, lush growth. I mean, that sucker is going to be like a jungle, but you won't get a whole lot of blossoms, which we need the blossoms because those blossoms, that's what turns into our tomatoes. So you'll have a lot of lush green growth, a lot of vegetation, but you're not going to get a lot of a crop. We don't want that. On the other hand, if you don't have enough nitrogen, usually the plant isn't going to grow very well. And you're going to have, instead of being that dark green, it's going to be a light pale green. And then the bottom leaves will oftentimes start to turn yellow. So if that's happening, then you know that you need a little bit of a nitrogen boost. So if you did the soil testing, I know, broken record, you're going to go if your nitrogen level is where it needs to be at or not. If I'm going to apply any extra nitrogen, I do that in the beginning of the growing season. And you want to make sure with nitrogen, because if you get too much nitrogen, you can burn the roots and burn the plant and kill it. That's why you will hear people say, never use fresh chicken manure. It needs to be aged because fresh chicken manure is super high in nitrogen and you can burn the plants and actually kill them. If I'm going to be applying any extra nitrogen, I will do that in the beginning stages of growth. When I do need them to grow and I need some more leaves and that, but then I don't apply any more as we get into the mid-season because I want it then to turn over from a lot of the vegetation growth and start producing me blossoms and tomatoes. Now, when it comes to your tomatoes, we also need to talk about trellising and growing your tomatoes. So trellising, of course, is putting up some type of structure. Now, I know most of y'all have seen the different tomato cages and the rings and stuff that you can get at garden centers and all of that. Now, with your tomatoes, there's a lot of varieties of tomatoes. And of course, I only grow an heirloom tomato. Big surprise there if you've been a listener of mine. And if not, my favorite tomato is an heirloom San Marzano Lungo Number 2. It's an Italian paste tomato, great flavor, both in sauces and salsas and also fresh eating. And it's really prolific. I've had tremendous success with it. So I just love it. It's like my baby. It's my go-to variety. And what you need to know about the types of tomatoes is there's determinate tomatoes and there's indeterminate tomatoes. What does that mean? Great question. So glad you asked. 
So determinate tomatoes are tomatoes that grow to a determined height, and they do most of their production all at once. So over a week or two, they're just going to produce like crazy pants. You're going to get all of it, and then it's pretty much done. And they usually will get anywhere from about three to four feet high. Now, your indeterminate tomatoes, on the other hand, they will grow all season long until you have that killing frost. I like them because for me, I've got so much produce coming on for our garden because our garden goes from May to mid-September and then boom, we're getting those first frosts. We grow over 60% of our own fruits and vegetables for the entire year, which means this homestead and mama is doing a lot of preserving during the summer months. So I actually do not want all of my tomatoes to come on at once because I do not have the bandwidth or the space to can entire year's worth of tomatoes over one or two weeks when I'm already dealing with the green beans and the cucumbers and just everything else that's coming on in the garden and preserving those items as well. So personally, I actually prefer the indeterminate variety. And I've seen tons of articles that are like, oh, canners prefer determinate. So it's all on at once. Well, not this one. So I'm gonna give you a little quick tip on that too. Kind of a side note, but we're still talking about tomatoes. In the beginning, when your tomatoes first start to come on and ripen, you likely won't have enough, especially if you're doing the indeterminate varieties, which is what I do, to can up an entire thing of sauce or salsa at once. But as they ripen, take those bad boys off the vine, pop them in the freezer. Then when you start to get enough on at once, take them out, thaw them. Super good trick here, you guys. As they thaw, the skins will just slip off. So no need when it's hot in summertime to sit and blanch and peel them tomatoes. You're welcome. (laughs) That's what I do. And I do it also at the end of the season as I'm not quite having enough until I get enough in the freezer to deal with. But I like the indeterminate for those reasons. But indeterminate, if you have good growing conditions, which if you follow the tips I just gave you, you're going to, them babies can get up to six feet in height. They have to be trellised and tied up or they're going to fall over. They're going to break off. They're just going to overrun you like nobody's business. And those little cute circular tomato cages that you see in the gardening stores are not, I repeat, are not going to hold up by the end of the season. They will literally bend and break those things. At least that's been my experience with our tomatoes, which is a good problem to have technically, but it can be a little bit frustrating. With our trellising system, which I'm going to be putting up in a week or two, so if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, you're going to get to see a video of that because it's kind of hard to describe like this, so I'm going to do a video to show how we do it. But if you're putting in a trellising system that includes pounding in posts or anything around the plant, you want to put that in as close to planting time as possible so that you're not piercing the roots of the plant as they grow out and or trampling them. When possible, I actually prefer to put in any type of trellis system I'm doing at the time of planting so that I don't have to worry about it later. It's just harder once the plant is growing up to avoid disturbing the roots or breaking anything off. We don't use, as I said, those little tomato cages that you buy from the store. We've just not found them to hold up and to work when you have indeterminate, really healthy, highly productive tomatoes. So I'm going to be showing you the trellis system that we use that we've settled on and works best for us coming up, but it involves using wire and then a couple of metal T-posts. Those are really super sturdy, and that's how we create our trellising system. So the video will be coming out on that shortly. Make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel, and you will see that as soon as that bad boy goes live. The other thing with your tomato plants that we do And this is after they have started to grow for a little bit, but about mid-season, then through the rest of the season, 
and that is pruning. And you're like, pruning tomato plants? Now, let me tell you, there is a lot of division on this subject. Who would think with gardening, there could be so many controversial things? But let me tell you, there are. With pruning tomatoes, I don't prune with determinate varieties. They're only going to get to a determined height. They're only going to produce for a shorter period of time. I don't bother pruning those. Now, with the indeterminate varieties, I do prune. And I prune them for more growth of actual blossoms and so that the health and everything of the plant, it's putting all of its energy into producing me with fruit and with crops and not a ton of vegetation. If there's anything that's starting to be diseased, any of the leaves or the branches that are down low and are touching the soil, all of those get removed because they are just like little veins, basically for disease to travel up. It's like, oh, you know, if there's anything on the ground or in the soil and that leaf is touching it, then it's just a way for that to enter the plant. So I remove any of the lower branches that are touching the soil and or the dirt are down touching and getting wet to the ground. Those all get removed off. I remove some of the sucker shoots, but not all. And if you're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about when you mean sucker shoots, I actually have a picture tutorial that walks you step through step of how to prune your tomatoes and the way that we prune our tomatoes so that we do increase our harvest and try to help eliminate disease. So you can get that in today's show notes at melissakunoris.com forward slash 180. I'll provide you a link so that you can go and check that one out in more detail as well. I also have a tomato growing guide. So it talks about seed saving and walks you through all of the things that we've been discussing and more. So you can go and get that. It's a free download when you go to today's blog post, which melissaknorris.com forward slash 180. I know I've said it like 100 times. You have it memorized by now, I'm sure. So if you haven't went, go ahead and go. And you'll see a picture there for my tomato guide. And you can just click that and then you'll pop in your name and your email and it'll shoot it right as a PDF download straight to your inbox. Quick recap when we're talking about growing our tomatoes. First up is site selection. We wanna make sure that we have got full sun We want to make sure that it is not in an area or the same soil that we have planted in anything in the nightshade family, including tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and peppers in the previous year, ideally at least three to four years in between. We want to make sure that we have got sufficient calcium in our soil, nitrogen in the beginning, but not too much. And then the signs adding in the magnesium because the magnesium of Epsom salt is going to help it absorb some of those different nutrients. That we've got our watering system set up, not only so that we are watering deeply a couple of times a week to ensure that the plant is getting the nutrients in said soil, but that we are also not watering overhead. So we're either protecting those plants from rain, not using an overhead sprinkler, and that we are using soaker hoses or some type of drip line. You can do it by hand, but I have found if I use a soaker hose, it's just way easier and a lot more efficient than me packing water out. (laughs) and trying to do that to all of those tomato plants two times a week. We've talked about putting in some type of trellis and support system, especially for our indeterminate varieties, and using pruning techniques to keep our plants nice and healthy, and also to increase the harvest, because that's our goal, right? We want a bigger harvest from the same amount of plants so that we are doing less work and with less space. Amen. Now, if you are one of the members of the Pioneering Today Academy, you already know all of this. You've already got all of this information, including the video lessons inside the Academy with your membership. But if you're not one of the members of the Academy, which we're not open for new members, we don't have open enrollment right now, 
but you're going to want to make sure that you get on the notify list so that you are first notified when we do open the doors. Sometimes we have some quick open enrollments that if you're on the email list, you'll get an email that says, hey, come check it out. You can get in for a couple of days. And so you want to make sure that you get on there. And that is at melissaknorris.com. And if you click on the Pioneer Today Academy, it's at the top of the website. It'll take you to the notify page if we're not open for enrollment. And you can just pop your name and email in there. And then when we have open enrollment, you'll be the first to know. Okay, guys, on to our verse of the week. So we are in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. This is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, a life, a home, a family built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge shall its chambers for every area be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. May your house and my house be established and built on a sound and good foundation. And I pray that every area of it, of your life, your home, and your loved ones is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. I will be back here with you next week with episode number 181, and you are not going to want to miss that one. We're back in the garden, but I'm giving you my summer gardening success plan to make sure that you don't miss anything that you want to put in. And it's what we use to make sure that we have fresh food coming all throughout the gardening season without being overwhelmed. Sounds good, right? Okay, I will be back here with you next week. So just bye for now.